At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. We stay the course! We are dead! We are all dead! We're supposed to make the world better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! This whole thing is insane! This whole thing is insane! 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane! Man is even capable of nothing but destruction! Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy Heresies, and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the latest AB Live audio version for thee. Stanley Kubrick's The Shining remains one of history's most impactful horror films, and its esoteric fertile ground, too. New research reveals the film is even more of a treasure chest of mysticism and revelation. Get ready for a deep and visual dive into the movie, including Kabbalah, numerology, Jungian archetypes, Tarot, and much more. And yes, there will be moon landing stuffy stuff. Without a doubt, this is the most complete and exhaustive esoteric summary on the film. For this aeonic task, David Block materialized at the Overlook Hotel in the virtual Alexandria. David is a researcher and practitioner of more than 18 years on the Kabbalah, alchemy, and the left-hand path. Don't get red-rummed, for next week we have another exhaustive show. The topic will be the evil creator and the Sethians. 
Yaldibaldi will be in the burning house, along with spanning content on the classical Gnostics. Thank you so much for those who support this Red Pill Cafeteria. You are amazing, and your support, company, and feedback help grow this blasphemy. We need Gnosis more than ever, needless to say. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom, or many of my guests and their unique insights, anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. Don't forget my voiceover availability for any podcast, commercial, audiobook, documentary, or what else. I'll bring you stellar results with down-to-home professionalism. And consider, in these hard economic times, the Red Circle subscription, which is only $4.99 a month for all complete shows. And you can tip if you want to support. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. Write your own gospel, live your own myth, and get your shining. You set them up and I'll knock them back, Lloyd, one by one. You know, some places are like people. Some shine and some don't. Welcome, everybody, to AB Live. Yes, men still have nipples and birdie num-nums. I'm so cheap. Very excited today because we are going, well, First, let me introduce myself. My name is Miguel Connor. I am your pompous of Gnosis. And heresy shouldn't be this much fun. It just is. It just is. And we are going to have a lot of fun today. Because we are going to be covering one of uh, a movie that I've seen so many times has really affected me. Obviously, I love all of Stanley Kubrick's content. He's one of the greatest, perhaps the greatest director of all times. And my God, and, and an individual f- so full of occult and esoteric messages. And I've, as I've said before, um, Dr. Strangelove is suddenly very relevant today as we are closer than ever to the brink of some sort of uh, nuclear interaction between power players of this world. Hell is closed and all the devils are here, as Shakespeare said. But we want to do something about it, and the way is inside, and the way is to unveil all the secrets and realities behind what's going on today. So with us, we have the pleasure of being joined by David Block. David, thank, thank you me. so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you, Miguel. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background before we get started on a spanning presentation on The Shining. Yes, um, I was waking up 18, 19 years ago through EFK, quite common, I think. Um, I understood quite uh, soon that I had to transform myself in order to cope with the darkness I was uh, confronted with. So I started to study esoteric matters to find something to hold on to or believe in. And I find myself through alchemy in the in the beginning, and then I start to study Kabbalah, left hand path. So I am a practice, practice, practicing esoteric person today. So I'm not talking about uh, I talk about people who 
misuse our knowledge to do mm -hmm. wicked things or bad things with it because you can do good things and you can do bad things with it. And I think Kubrick tried to say that was it tried to say with his movies movies even in space of the city 2001 you have this uh, double side of, of the esoteric knowledge you can transform or you can uh, perish with it or go under with it or yeah so i am an esoteric person so i'm not uh, beating down on uh, any practitioner by saying that some use our knowledge for bad things. And I think that exactly what Stanley Kubrick tried to say with his movies. Everything casts a shadow, as they say. Everything can be weaponized. And yeah, that's been the debate. Was Kubrick part of the deep state or the cabal, yeah. whatever you want to call it? Or was he actually trying to give out and we can go yeah that's that's like that could be a whole other show but this show is on the shining uh david will be yeah. giving a, a presentation we will likely have to break it into part one or part two because he leaves no stone unturned and this is going to be the most exhaustive exploration on the shining you were ever going to have but first uh we've also got the moondog vance vance how are you doing you got some red rum with you Oh, yeah. I got a whole bottle of it over here. <laughs> I think it's red. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. Yeah, Shining is one of uh, our family favorites, too. My son in particular loves it. So. Awesome. We'll nice. see. Maybe he likes little girls, you know. <laughs> They're cute <laughs> for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, good, good. I think you'll. I think uh, your son will get a lot out of this. Uh, so awesome. And for the audience there, I see you already going into the chats uh i don't know if we will actually have time to field any questions if you do a super chat we'll have to but uh keep in mind we not might not be able to get into those questions because again uh, david is going to take us on an incredible journey through the film the shining so other yeah. than that not much housekeeping yeah i think, uh, uh, I think uh, yeah. go ahead what were you saying? Yeah, I think uh, this is the most uh, uh, the uh, most extensive analysis of the movie so far, and I will present a lot of new material for you. I promise you that. Uh, just let me pick up some pace. Uh, part one will be an introduction, and I promise you to go into the detail in part two and three. So bear with me. Yes, yes, we'll get there. It's not uncommon. <laughs> I've watched go. podcasts where you have to break the show up because, but yeah, this is thorough, not even close. And no. I've watched documentaries, I've read books. Uh, this is the one, oh, you uh, truth seekers down here at the virtual Alexandria. So, shall we get started, David? Yeah. Let's All right. Start. Let us pull up. Let's pull up the thing. Okay. Everybody can see it down there in the chat room in the Kenoma. All right. The Shining, an esoteric analysis dedicated to Stanley Kubrick by David Block. So good. All right. Yeah. I break down the analysis in three main parts, and it's because they are quite long in and of themselves. Uh, I hope we will manage to get through part one and two and maybe we do part three later on in the second part. Uh, in part one, I, I introduce 
my work and also go into a little bit of the detail. But in part two, it will take up pace and I will start show you details uh, and part three, even more details. So as I said, bear with me and I promise you to show what the Shining is all about. All right. Next slide. Next slide. Let's do it. So this is part one of three. I hope we get through part one and two today. All right. Yes. So this is the introduction of my work. And I will tell you a little bit where it started. Uh, it started on a university for real. It took a pace on the university in Sweden. We can go to the next slide. Um, and uh, I had already started to work with the Shining or tried to decode it before, but I had a master course in media in Sweden and we were supposed to do an installment, an interactive installment uh, and present the installment as it was a real case for the class and try to make it as, as real as possible. Now I chose to do a Kubrick installment on the Kubrick exhibition. And my idea was that you should play Danny on his bike and go around in the hotel and try to decode the uh, uh, shining, uh, uh, the meaning behind the shining. Because I think that the best way to make people understand is to get them involved. Uh, so I, I had many different ideas why I wanted to do it. I, did, I didn't just want to do it for, for the master degree. I wanted to do it for, for Kubrick's sake. And mm -hmm. also because I think Kubrick had something to say, who, was, who is important. So I had many different layers of, of ideas behind this project, not just the master course. And of course, this has this is not an academic work per se, because it had had become much more than that. So this is not the academic work, but that's where it's there. It, they started there for real, you can say. Yeah. Next slide. Awesome. Yeah, for those who will be listening in audio after this, we are describing everything so you won't be missing too much. So, yeah, again, next slide. Interactive game with Danny as the main character. Yeah. So my idea was to have this graphic and all, all the feeling of, of the hotel, and you were going very fast with the, the bicycle and Danny and pick up clues and piece them together. And also at the same time, interact with different uh, uh, stuff on the uh, material stuff in the exhibition. So you get these uh, keys and you get this puzzle in material form in the installment as well. When as, as well, uh, you played the game and you interacted with the objects for real on the spot, on the exhibition. Awesome. I'm surprised somebody hasn't created one already, like a real video game, but uh, yeah, you should. Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. Uh, it's, it's a good. It would be a great game, I think. It would be awesome. Yeah, pretty yes. scary. <laughs> now, in yeah. the next slide, we've got a movie that I love. Yeah, Room Two Thirty Seven. Yeah, and I want to mention this documentary as well. They did a documentary named Room Two Three Seven, and I think all of you know know about it already. Different mm -hmm. ideas what the movie was about. And I, I have watched it as well, and I liked it, but I, I felt something was off. I didn't buy into uh, good information, but I didn't think they had put it together. I felt something was off. I, I felt they touched on something, but they didn't really crack the code. And it made, made me more curious, of course. <laughs> that's how I am as a person. If I see something and I don't agree, I don't I don't become angry or stop. I just get more enthusiastic and, and, and <laughs> I want to know more. Why don't I agree? <laughs> well, what, what's off? Uh, yeah. And yeah, good... that's by Rodney Asher. He's been a past guest, and yeah, but he does good documentaries. Yeah, yeah. The the movie is good. And it's a very good introduction to The Shining. So watch mm -hmm. it if you haven't seen it. All right. Yeah. So we come to the number 42 in part two here. And I will explain the number 42. I think many maybe know about the number 42 from the movie um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and, of course, the book. Uh, mm -hmm. But what does it mean? People doesn't know well, why 42. And it's seen, <laughs> like the audience in the movie. Uh, 42, what the fuck? <laughs> the answer to the uh, universe. Yeah. <laughs> We're just asking the wrong question. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now we explain the number 42 in esoteric lore here. Of All course, right. that had more meaning than one. But I, yeah, for the for this movie uh, and the number 42 is very important and you have this quote from a lady i don't remember what uh, what where i find it but the business with the number 42 maybe it has nothing to do with the holocaust but then why the shirt why that movie on the tv and two times three times seven does equal 42. yeah and the number 42 is very important in the movie The Shining. And I will explain it uh, now. The movie The Shining uh, had premiere in USA May 23rd, 1980. That's very <laughs> peculiar because it's exactly 42 years from now on, uh, from mm. 1980. It's just a couple of days. So maybe we can do part three on, on May the 23rd and finish the analysis exactly 42 it. years later. I just want to yeah. mention it. All right. Yeah. So in the documentary, Room 237, you have different uh, theories what the movie is about. And I want to mention one of them here. And it's through 
Jeffrey Cox, a history professor. And he is into this uh, uh, Holocaust and Hitler and, or, and that theory. And the reason why I mention him is he says some good things. And I have it highlighted in red here. I'm not going to go through everything he's, he's writing, but he, uh, Jeffrey Cox mentioned that the number 42 is on Dennis sweatshirt. And the typewriter is not from 1942. Mm. And it says, Cox says, Dan had no idea about the word and now he knows. He's no longer dope about things. Through the movie, Danny transformed into a more enlightened person. And that's a very good analyze of Jeffrey Cox, even though he doesn't understand that the number 42 is about transformation, because Jeffrey Cox is not an esoteric person, so he no. doesn't connect the number 42. But that's a very true statement. And I like when people do good statements without knowing <laughs> the esoteric background, because mm -hmm. then I can fill in what they say with more uh, proof. And that is what I'm going to do. And he mentioned a very important thing. And it's, it's a color that he associates with ghosts, but also with power and with murder and with death. And he's talking about blue, the color blue. Kubrick uses color a lot. And when Kubrick highlights things in blue, Cox says it's a color that he associates with ghosts, but also with power and with murder and with death. And that's a very important quote from Cox. And I will go mention it again later on. But I just mention it now. All right, we go forward yeah, yeah interesting <clears throat> for the audience the oh, according sorry. to cox the film is an allegory about coming to terms with hitler's extermination camps so, yeah interesting theory yeah and it it, it is in the movie uh, but it's not mm. the main theme right but, right but he is touching on something yeah it makes sense and danny is sort of the the eyes of the world he sees the horror and everything as he is waking up as you said all right yeah. next slide is says the typewriter and leon vitali yeah and also one of these details i like as i i when i see details like this i i, <laughs> I get very <laughs> concentrated and try to understand why uh, the typewriter and Leon Vitale. Leon Vitale says that all the typewriter in 1942, for example, belonged to Kubrick himself. And that particular model, model was once a commonplace as late model iPhones. Kubrick longtime assistant Leon Vitale. And why that's important is that I think what Kubrick tried to say here is that Kubrick's typewriter Kubrick writes through Jack, and he is writing about number 42, and Danny is number 42. And I'm coming back to that, why, soon. 
All right. I'll work and, and no play makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> yeah, the famous line there. Right. And that's I will come back to that as well. Where is <laughs> All right. Next slide. Yeah. The story is about number 42. And Dan is number 42. And part of him, Jack, because Jack is his father. Dan goes from being a zero to the number 42 in the movie The Shining. And the transformation goes through Jack. He has to transform to survive Jack in the movie. Jack is 24. And I will come back to that later. Danny is 42. That is, that is a palindromic number. It's a number that remains the same when its dig digits are reversed. So all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Equals all play and no work makes Danny a dull, dull boy. Without work, Danny will not be, become number 42. It takes effort and transform the spirit. It takes effort to transform the spirit. Now we come back to Cox's quote. Danny had no idea about the word, and now he knows. He's no longer dope about things. I will go back to this number 24 and 42 again. More important, the hotel and Danny and July the 4th, 1921. So now we come to the different themes in the movie, because it's not about one thing, but the movie has one main theme. But you have these side stories. They are all connected. So they are there for a reason. Kubrick didn't do anything without a reason. Nothing is in the movie as a coincidence. It's there for a reason. And the next slide, we have the moon landing theory, the theory about the moon landing. And that's an intriguing idea, but I don't really agree with Widener's um, statement that, the, that Kubrick uh, faked the moon landing. And I think he missed the point a little bit here. Doesn't mean that I don't like Widener or he has done a lot of good thing, good things. And you should listen to Widener. And I have listened to Widener. But just in, in this case, I think he's off a little bit. And I will show you why. All but right. it is yeah. there. It is yeah. there. And as you say, the mass murder of the Indians, the Native Americans, it's in the narrative, but it's not the main theme either. Yeah. It is there, but it's not the main theme. Uh, and Kubrick had many different themes in the movie, all connected. Yeah, so the mass murder of Indians is not the main theme. I think we have gone through that. Uh, some connection I make, I have made is the Indians were shamans, for example. They had contacted nature spirits and lived in harmony with Mother Earth. Those responsible for the mass murder lived in cities, the modern society, and had contacted completely different spirits. 
the common denominator was their interest in the metaphysical and in spirits. So they both practiced esoteric methods and theories, but had very different ideas and contacted different kinds of spirit, nature spirits versus the fallen angels or the watchers. Mm. But you, you have a conflict there. And that picture yeah. of Jack in the cans, what it what, that you circled, what's in the cans? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think he tried to point out um, the conflict here between those opposing esoteric ideas. Hmm. Uh, and some of it also, if you take the, the esoteric um, uh, practicing for uh, the watchers and so on, uh, it's very can be take if if it's if you use it wrong you go to tra transhumanism and technology mm -hmm. and technology is very anti nature and the nat natural habit habitat indians yeah nature based esoteric practices uh, versus transhumanism technology um, yeah. so i think he tried to deepen the, that uh, conflict. Yeah. Next the slide. Hotel and Danny, next slide. Let's get into the hotel and Danny. Yeah. Now, many have pointed out that the hotel is illogical. It doesn't... Uh, the the room doesn't fit. And the hotel is a metaphysical maze. It is as physical as it is mental. So it is, it is not only a material construct, a physical object. It is also a mental construct. So it's also in uh, Danny's head and also Jack's head. But, but as an esoteric person, what, what is real? <laughs> we call the material word Asaya, for example, yeah. in Kabbalah. Mm -hmm. And I use Asaya a lot because it distances yourself from this idea that the material world is the real and the metaphysical is unreal. If you use the terms for it, if you, you program your head to think differently. So we are we are calling this material world Asaya, the world of illusion. So the hotel is as physical as it is metaphysical. That's the reason why it's not logical. Right. Yeah. So what what do we find in this hotel? I will go through some important. Uh, main main scenes in the movie you have one scene where he and his uh, mother is watching a movie summer of 42 um. and the tv have no cord and many have pointed out why summer of 42 and why no cord to the television and you see this metaphysical 
the, uh, Kubrick are trying to tell you the hotel is not only physical, it's also metaphysical. Something is off here. And why this movie summer of 42? Now the number 42 comes up again. Why are they watching the summer of 42? And I want to point out some important things about the movie summer of 42. Uh, next slide. We have the mother and the child. And in the movie, uh, Wendy seems to love Danny. And, uh, but she's also very disconnected when they have cognitive dissonance. And her cognitive dissonance is greater than her love for Danny, I would say. Yes, the next slide. In the movie Summer of 42, you have a character named Dorothy. And in the end of the movie, I'll read a quote from, not from the movie, but one who writes about the movie. Doris fled the Iceland and in the night and an envelope is in the front door with Hermes name on it. Inside is a note from Dorothy. She assures assure Hermes she will never forget him. Her note closes with the hope that Hermes may be spared the senseless tragedies of life. Now we have the name Dorothy. I think Kubrick wanted us to connect the name Dorothy with the Wizard of Oz. And I can't go, go into any details, but I will try to explain it as fast as I can. In the movie The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy is the fool. And in Tarot, the fool card has the, has the number zero and also 22. And it has also number 42 encoded in the fool card. The fool carries a bag behind his bag, <laughs> behind his, uh, his shoulder. Right. And in that bag, he had all the rest of the ma major arcana cards with him. Because the major arcana is supposed to transform you into something new. And you have all the cards you need to transform. You carry them with you when you have become the fool. Because when you are the fool, you have start to started to understand that you have been fooled then you can start to unravel and start to understand yourself and the world around you through the major arcana and through the tarot cards. So the fool carries all the card with him or her. The fool have the potentiality to transform because he knows or she knows she is the fool. But before that, you cannot transform. Mm -hmm. That's the beginning of it. So you have all the cards you need to become something new. And this is the journey Danny is going through in the movie. 
And in the movie The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy is going through that. But I'm not going to talk about The Wizard of Oz, but <laughs> it is difference between the book and the movie. And I have decoded the movie. So if you want me to do it, I can do it some other time or, but it is a very interesting movie and a very interesting book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, next slide. <laughs> so we have Dory the Fool, the Wizard of Oz, and you <clears throat> see her carry her bag and the dog, same as the fool, the dog and the bag over his shoulder. Yeah, next slide. So the story is about number 42, Jack and Danny. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Danny is 42. Danny is 42, the fool. And you can see he has the number 42 on his shirt. And you can see the number also on the typewriter. Jack is typing on. And you can see Doopy in, in the door from Disney. Disney's Seven Dwarfs. Mm. And he's standing in a bathroom. And someone has pointed out that Doopy is disappearing from the door later on in the movie. That's not a coincidence because Danny starts to transform to go from being the dupe or the zero, the fool, to become something new because he has to. And it is through the obstacles or the, the problems we have or our downfalls or fa and failures. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. That make us transform, that we need this, uh, this trial to become something new. Yeah, next slide. So Danny the Fool equals 42. In the tarot, the mayor arcana, you have the card 13, 14, and 15. It is the death card, the art card, and the devil card. And if you add them together, you get 42. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that he is only those cards. He's all the major arcana, but those three cards is the main, the most important cards. You have to die. Your old self has to die. And through art and craft making, you have to transform and become something new. And then you have to defeat the devil within and without in this case and the devil is in yourself the the dark side of yourself you have to 
transform. But in this movie, you have Jack also as the devil. So he has to defeat the devil within himself and also without. But when we are using esoteric method, we are mostly talking about the devil inside us, the ego. We have to transform our ego to something new. So Danny's old self has to die in order to create something new, the death card. The card 14, an art. Danny have to create a new self with art, craft making, trans transformation with the spirit. And the devil card. Danny have to defeat the devil within and without unless Jack, his own father, in this case. And I have had a, a lecture about this tarot card and the secret behind the tarot card. I cannot go into that now, but I can explain more in detail if anyone wants to about the tarot and why uh, 13, 14, 15 ends up in one row. There are a method to that where you place the card in a certain way. But this is the main card. Danny has to transform himself through or work his way through. And you probably know in Freemason, you have these death rituals, you have the, the skulls and skull and bones, you have the, the skull. <laughs> mm -hmm. Many of them go through ritual where you uh, play your own death. And that's the death card in the tarot. Your old self has to die in order to, for something new to come to surface. So this is not, nothing new in esoteric method mm -hmm. theory. Yeah, next slide then. So you have this room 237 and it has more than one meaning. You have, of course, 2 plus 3 plus five, 7 equals 12. And 12 is a very important number. You have the zodiac. Uh, but 2 times 3 times 7 equals 42. And we already explained that the 42 is Danny. So this is a fool's journey. When he re-enter room 237, he start his fool's journey or the fool's journey. It is when Danny start his journey to become number 42. Fascinating. All right. Very fascinating. All right. And we have the maze. And many speculate about this maze. And in the movie, they Kubrick in his narrative explained that it's an Indian burial, burial ground but it's also a mental maze because the hotel, the hotel is as mental as it is physical and I think Kubrick tried to say many things about this one thing is you can't tell people the truth I think many have tried to tell people the <laughs> truth <laughs> You can only show them the maze. 
and that was one of my main goals with the interactive game <laughs> to allow the player to play it and try to solve it themselves. And I think that was Kubrick's, one of Kubrick's main goals with his movie. You cannot tell up, straight up to people. You have to engage them and make them curious about mm -hmm. the narrative of the movie, and then they try to solve it themselves. Then you get the viewer engaged into solving that, and that's the best we can do as a filmmaker, as a filmmakers, or if you write books. And I think that was one main reason. But also, it's very important to mention in the movie. They are telling us that it's an Indian burial ground. And uh, or to, talked about ghosts and the Professor Cox. For the audience, there's a yeah. picture of Jack standing over the labyrinth, like some demiurge. All right, next slide. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So gold room. And then we have the gold room. And the gold room is a very important. The gold room is a very important narrative and in the movie. Gold is associated with the sun in esoteric lore. So gold is associated with the sun. So the gold room is also the sun room. And the main uh, it, the, the most important thing here is to understand it's the sun rule. And I will come to that soon. So you have the moon room and you have the sun room. And in the gold room or the sun room goes the elite from hell, the shadow side of humanity. More on July the 4th, 1921. I will come back to this gold room. It's very, very important in the movie. And if you miss it, you... And I will tell you what the date is all about. What, what he means with the sun room. Mm -hmm. And the elite in the okay. gold or sun elite room. In here. Yes. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and now we come to come to a very important detail. Uh, Descent into out. hell in the future. Okay, this should be right. Yeah. <laughs> Descent into hell in the future, and we come to Young, called Gustav Young, and Gustav Young was a very important <clears throat> person for Kubrick. His first movie was named Shadow of Fear. And uh, he was very fascinating with Carl Gustav Jung. Uh, and Carl Gustav Jung, Jung is, of course, very famous for his archetypes. Uh, and what, the archetypes, they are underlying base forms or the archetype as such from which emerge images, images and motifs such as the mother, the child, the trickster and the flood, among others. And we have, of course, uh, the person, the shadow is a very 
very famous uh, saying of Jung, shallow self, the anima, the animus, and the self. These are a result of collective shared ancestral memories that may persist in art, literature, and religion, but aren't obvious to the eye. These recurring themes help us understand the Jungian archetypes. We have stories we are retelling through history about heroes, and evil, and it seems to be very stuck in uh, the mentality of the human race. They always come back to these stories for a reason, according to Jung. And it's important to, to mention here that the mother, the child, and the trickster, and the flood is among others, is among these archetypes. And all of these are in the movie, The Shining. So you can see Kubrick's uh, influence of Jung had a huge impact on Kubrick. And already, it's very important to mention, already in his <coughs> first movie, The Shadow of Fear. Uh, and the reason why that's important is to show that Kubrick didn't let go of Jung. It, it was something who he was, he was very interested in. And Carl Gustav Jung was interested in esoteric lore, like alchemy, the Gnostic, the Nagar Hamadiya library. And I think Kubrick became interested in esoteric matters through Jung. That's the reason why I think it's important to mention that he's already, as his first movie, he became interested in Jung and I think esoteric matters, theor uh, practices and uh, esoteric theories. So I think he was very well versed in esoteric literature and theory and practices. And I see it in many of his movies, not only The Shining, you have it in Space Odyssey 2001, for example. Mm -hmm. So it's no coincidence. That's what I try to say. <laughs> he knew a lot about esoteric practices. Yeah, Young described the animus as the unconscious masculine side of a woman and the anima as the unconscious feminine side of a man, each transcending the personal psyche. He believed they are the abstract symbol sets that formulate the archetype of the self. So we have this unconscious side of ourself and the shadow side in our psyche, psyche we are not conscious about. It's a, a, a quite much um, Freud in this as well, and Jung studied under uh, Freud, so it's no coincidence. Yeah, so we have, next slide, so we have three important archety archetypes for Jung. And we find them also in the movie. You have the mother, the child, the flood. And of course, the mother, the child, 
it's no <laughs> many movies have a mother and a child in it, but in this case, yeah, also have the flood. So yeah, three parts. Not many movies have an elevator full of blood. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and I will, I will point to more details so I can <laughs> strengthen my theory here. Here, right? Yeah, so you have the first movie of Kubrick, Shadow of Fear, and it's a lot about the river. And you have water, and water is a very important element in esoteric practices and theory. Water is also a symbol of the unconscious and the metaphysical. And this is a point many people miss, are missing. Um, in the Old Testament, for example, they think uh, Noah traveled through water. No, he traveled through metaphysical. Uh, space you will not find the orc they are no orc <laughs> but, yeah but they have it's hard for people to think in metaphysical terms <clears throat> they have to train themselves and understand the symbols so the water is a symbol for the unconscious and the metaphysical as well what's what's like what is like lying beneath the surface so to speak. And you have the Sigmund Freud idea of the iceberg was under the water and was above the water mm -hmm. and all that. Right. But this is Kubrick's first movie. So already in a very early age, he was interested in these themes and these theories. And that's very important to mention, as I said, his extensive knowledge in the esoteric uh, lore can be explained through his early interest in Jung. So in, in the movie Shadow of Fear, you have a couple of soldiers who confront the in, inner darkness and one goes mad. And in one scene, you see one of the soldiers way, go, going in this, going in the river, and it mm. seems totally lost. And they confront his dark, the dark darkness in in himself. The movie ain't that good, but it's I, you should see it anyway, <laughs> because <laughs> because it starts start Kubrick's uh, car career and right. his interest, I think, in Jung and, and the esoteric. Yeah, next slide. So now we come into the detail because as some people have pointed out, on the, the table in one of the scenes where Jack is talking about the hotel, you see the red book on the, on the table. And you have this room 237. So I was curious because I bought, of course, I bought the red book, <laughs> the big version. It's a so big I, one. <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs> yeah. So I think what's on the page 237, I, uh, I had to <laughs> oh. look into it. And I find a heading to, uh, on page 237 called 
descent into hell in the future. You can look it up yourself. It's on page 237 in the Red Book, Carl Jung's The Red Book. Same wow. number as the room, 237. Yeah, next slide. So under the heading, Descent into Hell in the Future, and I quote, a thousand serpent crowd around, wailing the sun. Deep night falls, a red stream of blood, thick red blood springs up, surging for a long time, then ebbing. I am seized by fear. What did I see? So you have here a red stream of blood. Danny, what did I see? You have one clip, one, one fast clip of Danny when he imagined this. He sees it inside himself, in his inner eye. And he's like scared. What did I see? And you have, of course, room 237 and page 237. And a footnote from Young. And the footnote is very long, so I try to make it dense or shorten it. But it says, I was in great confusion as to the meaning of all those things I had seen. The beetle, of course, I knew to be an ancient sun symbol and the setting sun. The secret murder of the hero I could not understand at all. I, I could not then realize that it was also archetype. Archetype. And this red book is in one scene in The Shining. And Kubrick was famous. He didn't do anything. Uh, everything was there for a purpose. So I think he wants us to think about archetypes and uh, I think he strengthened it with this page in the book where you see that the heading is descent into hell in the future. Yeah, that was part one and now we will come to the details of this and I will decode the room 237 for you. Awesome. Yeah, Vance is going to, he's going to take us through the labyrinth. I'm going to step out for just one second. Vance, yep. take us, take us through the maze. All righty, here we go. So the tree of life and the moon. Next slide. So you have the tree of life in Kabbalah one of the most important symbols in esoteric lore. But you also have the tree of Clifford, and the tree of Clifford is the other side of the tree of life. It's the shadow side of the tree of life. And it is also called the other side, the other side of the tree of life, Sitra Ara, the shallow side of the tree of life, or the other side of matter. Tree of Knowledge is all also one name for it. In the Bible, they mention it as the Tree of Knowledge in Genesis. So this is two trees. 
So you have the moon room 237. And I agree that it is a connection between the moon and the room. But it's not the physical moon Kubrick are talking about. But it is about 238,000 miles to the moon. Uh, and some say during the time Kubrick did the movie The Shining, they thought it was two, two, 237 miles to the moon from the Earth. So I think he wanted to uh, point to the moon, but he don't want to point, he didn't want to point to the physical moon as such. Yeah, next slide. So you have the tree of life and the tree of Clifford. And in Tree of Life, we have something we call Sephiroths. And the Sephiroth number nine is the moon. You can see it in the picture if you watch the, uh, the stream. And it is purple and you have a moon and the number nine in it. On the other side, on the Tree of Clifford, and that's the other side of the Sephiroth 9. You have the Cliffa called on the, on the tree of Clifford. You have Gamaliel, the obscene one. That's the shadow side of the moon, the metaphysical side of the moon. So you have number 9 and equals the moon room. Yesod 9 is the Sephira on the other side. It is the cliffa number nine, Gamaliel, the obscene one, the dark side of the moon. So Kubrick wanted to, to point out that the Sephira number nine, Yesod, is the moon room. That's the moon. Next slide. The hexagram, hexagram and Saturn. So you have the properties of Saturn, and I think many knows this, but the properties of Saturn in esoteric lore, you have, it stands for matter. Our world evolutions become solid matter, lead, masculine, control, time, scheduler, restrictions, and intellect. That's traits or properties of Saturn. They contribute to the planet Saturn or the sun Saturn. Some say it's the sun. Next slide. And Saturn is, next slide. Another symbol for Saturn is the hexagon, the six-sided symbol the or hexagram and you have the carpet where Danny is sitting on a hexagon and in the carpet you see the cube of Saturn the red cube and that's the symbol of matter Danny is sitting on the carpet matter is sitting on the Saturn's cube. Next slide. 
So Saturn's cube, the black cube, that, uh, trapped in matter in time. Danny is playing in matter on the carpet. Yeah, next slide. And I think Manny knows that Saturn have a hexagon on its pole. I did not know that. Okay. <laughs> I learned something new, a hexagon. <laughs> so you have the hexagon on Saturn. And the hexagon forms a cube if you draw lines from it. So you have the cube of Saturn, the black cube. And you will see it in some main cities around the planet, the black cube. And that it's about the black cube of Saturn and matter to trap you into matter, to make you ignorant of, uh, of metaphysical matters, trap you in time. That's the Demiurge's job. Uh, exactly. <laughs> there you have him. <laughs> so in uh, Lurianic Kabbalah and Kabbalah in general, you have Asaya. We call Asaya the word of matter. So everything you can register, all your five senses um, take in is Asaya. And it creates the, the illusion of matter. So Asaya is matter and the force filling Asaya is Malkuth. It's the uh, light, the force, the energy that fills up our world, that creates our illusion of materiality. And that's Sephira number 10. And Malkuth, but the word is Asaya, word of matter we call Asaya. Yeah, next slide. So Danny is playing in Asaya, the word of matter, on the carpet, on Saturn's keyboard, Saturn hexagon. The pentagram and Venus. Part three, let's get it on, all right? Yeah. Now we come to the pentagram and Venus. And a pentagram have five sides. And the hexagon have six sides. And the pentagram is referent to Venus. And the hexagram, Saturn, and also matter because Saturn creates matter. Trap us in time, trap us in the black cube to restrain us, to hold us back from the metaphysical, from transforming, from go through matter to the metaphysical. So we are trapped in time. Doesn't mean that Saturn is a bad planet. It is here to teach us a lesson mm -hmm. and transform us. So we start to transform ourselves. 
Yeah, next slide. So a ball is coming and the ball is red. And the ball is not the moon, but Venus. Next slide. So Danny's playing with his train. The ball comes. He's playing with the ball, and that's Venus, okay? Yeah. And he's yeah, looking up from his play, this right. game. Now we have simple numerology and uh, a lot of esoteric uh, methods and very important part of esoteric lore. And you have the pentagon, you have the hexagram equals 11. Five plus six equals 11. Right. But it's much more than that. Uh, Thelema knows that Abrahadabra equals 11. And Abrahadabra is the magic force, the magic word. And Abrahadabra is the key of the rituals because it expresses the magic formula of uniting various complementary ideas, especially the five of the microcosm with the six of the macrocosm. Abradabra is the glyph of the blending of the five and the six. Abradabra is also referred to as the word of double power. More specifically, it represents uniting of the microcosm with the macrocosm, represented by the pentagram and the hexagram, the rose and the cross, the circle and the square, the five and the six, etc. And Abradabra has 11 letters, and it is the magic force in and of itself. And if you apply Yematria on it, it's not really Yematria yet, but numerology and the Chaldean Yematria or numerology, you, you got number that it equals 22. And 22 is the path on the tree of life and the tree of Cliffords. Mm -hmm. It is the connection between the Sephiroths or the Cliffords. 22 path on the tree. And you have 22 in the major arcana of the tarot cards. So it's a very important number. 11 is a very important number. Abra Dabra is very important in Thelema. Uh, and Thelema is uh, an esoteric uh, practice, start, not started by Crowley, but he's, he's one who people are <laughs> thinking <laughs> of when we talk right, about right, Thelema. And Otto and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. So this is a very important. So now you have Abra equals 11. 11 letters, the magic force. Microcosm with the macrocosm, represented by the pentagram and the hexagram, the rose and the cross, the circle and the square, the five and the six. And Danny has Apollo 11 on his shirt. Mm -hmm. So Danny has unlocked the moon room through mm -hmm. the magic force by uniting the five and the six. It's rising up. And this is 
maybe the most famous scene. I don't know. <laughs> maybe the naked lady. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I snuck into the movie theater when I was 10 to watch a Shining <laughs> scene. Just traumatized me even today. Uh, I imagine. <laughs> uh. So we have the part four, the travel to the other side. The other side. Which now we are going to the other side. All right, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. So you have the trio life, and you have Sophia number 10. And as I mentioned before, it's uh, Malkuth or Asaya. On the other side of the tree, you have number 10, but Clifford number 10. And it's called Lilith, the queen of the night. And that's the other side of the tree. The other side of, tree of, of, the, of the tree of life, the shallow side. And I want to <laughs> mention Lilith, uh, the queen of the night, the ruling force. Next slide. So Danny is playing on a hexagon and a ball is coming. Yeah, next slide. And as I mentioned before, it's Venus in a pentagon. And now you have a sigil. A sigil is a symbol, and the symbol for the cliffa number 10, Lilith. And the sigil looks like a pentagram, upside down pentagram. And you have three moons, an upside down triangle. That's the sigil of the Cliffa Lilith. Next slide. Um, so you have the pentagram, three moons. The Cliffa is Lilith, and Lilith is the ruling force. And there you have it, you shining crazy diamonds. The first part of the fantastic presentation by David Block. Much more in our second part. Where does it all lead when it comes to The Shining? Believe it or not, it leads to Baphomet, as you will see. So please become an AB Prime member or patron at Patreon or Red Circle subscriber for the full dope. And it does support this Red Pill Cafeteria. It will cost you less than a buck per episode, and that's a deal of many lifetimes. The alternative spirituality and philosophy of the Gnostics is more important than ever in this Philip K. Dick world and Gnostic times. This is our time and truth, because we are high priests and priestesses of Hermes, the god of thieves, and Sophia, the goddess of smugglers. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, 
and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.